Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you here today. My name is Ryan. I have the privilege of, of serving as a, a pastor here on staff, and it's always a joy for me every week to gather here and to be reminded, you know, it's, it's, we believe there's a high value on a gathering together. This isn't everything about the Christian life. It's not just what happens for one hour a week, but we believe there's a lot of value in being, finding that encouragement and encouragement through singing together and worshiping, being reminded of God's truth. And so we're grateful to have you here today. Now, as uh, Bill mentioned, uh, this morning is a bit unique in that this is uh, fulfilling a requirement that is kind of a legal requirement to have this annual meeting. But we thought this year, instead of going into that and, and just taking a few moments to look at a budget and, and approve it, but we thought, let's make this more about a worshipful thing. And so we want to, this morning to really be about um, it, finding what God, what is your heart and what do you, do you invite us into as a church and what does that look like for the next year? So this really just, this isn't about numbers, it's not about business, it's not about institutional anything, this is about an act of worship and being a family of God together. So that's what we're going to do. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke in chapter 7. We're actually going to continue through our study in the book of Luke today, and this, today's passage actually sheds some light and gives us insight into the heart of God and also what we believe that means for us as a church family. So as you find Luke chapter 7, let me pray to get us started. God, we thank you so much for this morning, and, and Lord, we come to you, uh, some with great uh, joy today, some with great grief, some tired and feeling uh, just needing rest. Some are rushed and feeling busy. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that right now you'd meet us in this place and help us to uh, hear from you and uh, tra- change and transform our lives uh, because of your good news. So we give you this time now. Amen. So Luke chapter 7, I'm going to go ahead and read the story and uh, then we'll break it down. This is one of the passages passages in scripture that if you read this beginning in verse 36, you might just read it and think, what in the world is this all about? Or there's a lot of strange little things that happen. So it's really important that we look at today's story in light of the cultural context. So that's what we'll do today uh, and break it down into a few parts. So starting in verse 36, it says this, one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. So Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She kept wiping them with her hair, and then kissing his feet and anointing his feet with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee, saw, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is, who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. He said, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave both of them. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have judged correctly. Turning towards a woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. 
For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. So that's a story, kind of a, a, you know, a lengthy story in there. You might hear it and say, okay, what, what really is all this about? There's some interesting, strange things that happen when you really start to break it down. But we want to understand it in light of some cultural context. First few things to understand that if you are invited in to a banquet, if you're invited in to have a, a meal with someone in the ancient world, especially if we're talking first century, first century Palestine. So this is Israel in the first century under Roman occupation. The cultural norms were happening here. Now, it was very important to a Jewish person that hospitality was one of the most important things. In fact, hospitality was, if you didn't have hospitality, it often was called a sin. It was sinful to not welcome people in and to be gracious to guests. So, uh, some of the things that you would do to be hospitable, if you invited someone into your house, there's a few things in the time of Jesus. One is you'd greet them with a kiss. The kiss on the side of the cheek, it's still done in, in a lot of the Eastern cultures today, Middle Eastern culture, and that was a sign of saying, we are at peace and we can be friends, and, and so the kiss was a welcoming that person in. The, the other thing that you would do is provide water to wash their feet, and in some cases there'd be a servant that would wash the feet for them, but at the very least, you would have water to wash your feet. They lived in a world where there w- weren't very many paved roads roads and they walked around in open toe sandals and so it was customary to have clean feet meant the rest of your body was clean so it was important to make your guests feel comfortable with you at the table by having clean feet the other thing was that you would provide olive oil and some of the oil might have been infused with different uh, uh, herbs or whatever it's kind of like the first version of essential oils or whatever but so you you have this olive oil that was known as soap basically they used it as we would use soap today so if you were a guest in someone's house and you're going to have a meal they would provide for you some olive oil you'd rub it on your hands and maybe put it on your face and head and then that was a way of cleansing yourself so those three things were the bare uh, minimum for making someone feel welcome in your home so if you were to invite a guest it was expected that those would happen So it's interesting now in the story that we find, uh, not from the first part of it, but later on, that none of these things happened when Jesus was invited into the story, when he was invited in for the meal. So either one thing's happening here, either the host is at best not intentionally honoring Jesus as a guest, that's the best case scenario, that he decided I'm not going to honor him, but at worst and probably more likely is he was intentionally humiliating him. He was saying, come in, but you do not deserve honor from me here. I, I don't agree with you, so you could come into my house, but I'm not going to treat you as is customary. So in a way, he was being sinful towards Jesus by saying, you are not even going to get common courtesy from me here today. Now, instead of Jesus arguing with him about it, we find the next thing. It says, Jesus is reclining at the table. Jesus has a way of saying, I'm not going to deal with your little hard heart right now. Fine, you don't want to honor me. I'm going to come in and recline at the table anyway. You invited me to come in, so I'll come in, and we'll deal with this later. And so Jesus is reclining at the table. Now, a couple things what that means. This is not like what some of you or maybe your kids or my kids do when reclining at the table, right? Which is leaning back in your chair until they flip over. It's actually, you're on a lower table that's on the ground, and reclining is you're eating on one elbow. 
usually as you're leaning there. And so this is even the picture in the Last Supper that, uh, that if you're familiar with that, when you have one of the disciples is laying and resting in, it says, the chest of Jesus, it's because they're reclining and eating the meal that way. And it's different than the Da Vinci painting where Jesus is sitting here and one is just for randomly laying. They're all reclining. And so they recline at the table and they're eating. And so what you would do is, as you recline, your feet would then be pointed away from the table, not under the table. So your feet are not, you don't want your feet in the plate of food next to the person next to you. So that's the whole reasoning there. Now, the other thing that happens is you might ask, why is this woman, who this Pharisee obviously doesn't like very much, what is she doing in the story? Why is she in his house if he's like, does this guy know she's a sinner? I I always look at that and think, well, why is she even there? So customary, again, if you were to hold a banquet and you uh, were well-to-do, which is obviously the case here, is it was customary to invite in uh, the poor and, and sometimes the outcasts could come into your home, but they would have to sit on the floor against the wall and watch the banquet take place. Now the whole idea of it was an act of charity so that if the food wasn't eaten in its entirety, they, they could get the scraps from the table. That was the intention of this custom. So what we have here is a normal banquet going on, and it was normal to have outsiders outside of the circle watching and waiting for some scraps. So that's that's the story that we have at this point. Now, so then what we see in this story is the response of this woman. She comes, and, and Jesus looks at her because she sees Jesus, and she's weeping now, and she starts to wet his feet with her tears. Now, I always wonder, why, why, what is she weeping about? What happened? What's going on? But it is likely that she had already had an interaction with Jesus. It's likely that she had heard his teaching, and maybe even he's already forgiven her for her sins, but she has found hope from Jesus. She has been changed by his message already. So she's now in the, in the and she comes to the meal with perfume already thinking oh when when it comes to anointing his head i'm going to offer the perfume and and so he can have this nice expensive oil to anoint his head and and so she went in intentionally wanting to honor jesus and as she's there and probably told stand back sit on the floor and wait she sees that jesus wasn't even given customary um, honor at all at the table he sits down and he's now been humiliated in the eyes of the pharisees and Perhaps it is then that her heart breaks. Because she thinks, do they not know who this is? That this is Jesus. He's the one who welcomes everyone in, and her heart breaks over this instant. And we find her then, she begins to weep. And in this moment, you could imagine now she's thinking, they didn't wash his feet, but here's my tears. I will wash his feet with my tears. I will honor him, because they wouldn't. So she wets his feet with her tears, and without having a towel, she thinks of, how do I now wipe his feet? And she does something that is very scandalous in the Jewish world, and even to this day in the Orthodox Jewish world would be very scandalous, where she let down her hair and then wiped his feet with her hair. Again, at this moment, she's saying, I'm breaking all cultural barriers to even touch him, but now to let down my hair to do this because she's so moved by the moment and thinking he's been humiliated, I want to honor him. And it says that she then was kissing his feet. Now, it wasn't customary to kiss someone's feet. It was customary to kiss them on the cheek. But in this case, she's not welcome in at the table. So she's still outside. 
She's still behind the table, and the, she doesn't have access to his face and his cheek. She has access only to his feet, so she kisses his feet to say, if they won't honor you and, and welcome you with a friendship kiss, I will. I will. And then we see that she pours out the perfume. Again, wasn't meant for the feet. It was meant for the head, but she has his feet, so she anoints his feet. And so in this story, we have this act of worship and gratefulness poured out by the woman. So that has a lot to do with our budget. See? See how that connects? <laughs> so what I want to do now is, what we want to look at this story is, how does, what does this tell us about the character and the heart of God? And then what does that invite us to as a church? Because I believe what we learn here is a few things that we've talked about throughout the year. That None of this will be new to you today. But this is just reinforcing who we want to be as a church. I want to start with one thing, and this is what we call our purpose. And, and this purpose is we exist as a church to help people in North County and beyond discover life in Christ and learn to follow him. Now, the reason we have that in North County and beyond, because for, for this sake, we don't usually include it in there, but we want you to know that we're not just talking, the church is not a building. Seacoast Church is not this place. It, it, it is this place we own, and this is where we gather, and this is our central hub, but this is not the church. This is the church building. You are the church. We are the church. The, the, our global partners who live overseas and our local partners and regional partners who are in any, inner city LA and, and scattered throughout the region, they're our partners. They are part of our church too. When you go to work tomorrow and when you go home to your neighborhoods today, that's where the church is. So when we say we exist to help people discover life in Christ, we mean here but we also mean wherever we go, this is the church and the purpose of why we exist. So we want people to discover new life in Christ and then what life in Christ looks like in every phase of your life because it changes. The needs change as we grow. We see Jesus in new ways. Now, to describe that, we have what we call our vision. And vision is what it looks like when we pursue our purpose. And this is a little more specific. This is what we, the type of church that we want to be to when we help people discover life in Christ, we believe that these three things describe us. Now, if you are really good at, key, if this kind of, you love the nuts and bolts of structure, you would maybe remember, didn't we have five vision statements? I know some of you are just dying to ask that. Um, we, we narrowed it down into three. It's the same things. We just made it more memorable. And uh, we've been working with that for a little while with ministry leaders and elders. But so the first of our vision statement is this. We dream of being a church community that is a home to those lost and wandering in their faith. We want to be a place where if you are lost or wandering in your faith, that you can find life in Christ and you can find a place that is home for you. In this story, what we find is that this woman who was a sinner was welcomed in by Jesus. What should home be like? Home is a place where you can come with your brokenness, you can come with your scars, you can come with your ugliness, and you can be loved for who you are. Now, home is also a place where we don't say, we, we want you to stay who you are. Now, in home, like, I will love my kids no matter what, but I'll also encourage them to grow and to develop and change. But home is a place where you are going to be loved no matter what. Just recently, I heard a, story, a speaker named John O'Leary. He was sharing at a, a church gathering here in the community. And he, his story is when he was nine years old, he was playing with a gas can in his garage, and he blew up his garage and himself at nine years old. He had 100% of his body was covered with burns, and they basically said this child will die. To ruin the story, uh, he didn't die. So he's still, he's, he has this book and a great speaker to this day. 
But at nine years old, he blew up his garage, and he tells the story of that first day he's in the hospital. And he's laying in the hospital, and he hears his dad come into the room. And I love the way he shares the story. He hears his dad say, where's my son, John? And he thought, like, oh, I just blew up my dad's garage. He's coming to finish me off. (laughs) And his dad came in the room, and he looked at him, and he said, John, I want you to know, I have never been more proud in my life to be your dad. And then John says, my first response is, he has no idea what actually happened. (laughs) And then he said, maybe I'm going to get away with it. (laughs) But then his dad looked down at him and he said, I want you to know that I love you no matter what, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I thought, what a great way to parent your kids. I love you no matter what, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I was thinking about that, and that sounds like the heart of God. There is nothing you can do about it. You are his creation, and he loves you and cares about you. He doesn't always love your decisions. He doesn't always love the mess you get yourself into, but he loves you no matter what, and there's nothing you can do about it. That is truth from Scripture. So when I see the story of the woman who everyone else is saying, does Jesus not know she's a sinner? I mean, does he not know who she is? And he's saying, of course I know who she is. And there's nothing she can do about it. I love her. And there's nothing you can do about it as Pharisees. I love you too. You can't change that. We as a church want to be a home for those lost and those wandering in their faith. We believe there's a lot of people who maybe grew up believing and just have wandered away. We want to be a safe place for someone to come with doubts, with questions, with fears, and just say, I don't have it all together. Well, welcome home. We want you to meet Jesus here. I want to uh, share a story with you. If you were here last week, he was baptized and shared a brief version of his story. But we have um, on video a little bit more of the story of Dave who was baptized last week. Take a look at the screen and see, uh, hear more about what it looks like. All right, isn't that great? Yeah, you can give a hand. What I love about that is uh, Dave's story is one where we got to come in after God really got a hold of his heart, but one of the things we pray about here as a church is how can we reach those who are wandering in their faith and those who are lost. And sometimes God uses some really interesting circumstances to get a hold of us. And um, I love that what he said there is, is more than one life was saved that day. And he saved a physical life, but then you know, he rededicated his life and his, and his wife accepted the Lord and are experiencing this ama- amazing transformation. And I think that that's what it means to be a place and create an environment as a church that you can come in broken and without the answers and we'll walk with you in that journey so that you can discover who Jesus is. And so we, we're all about that. Um, Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says this, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. The heart of Jesus is that we reach those who need to be reached, and that's what we want to be about. Uh, The budget implications for that, just so you know, as a church, we give over 20% of what you give goes towards outreach, whether that is supporting missionaries globally um, or locally. It also is... Uh, supporting local projects and programs. Uh, we, we have a MOPS program that's uh, about reaching mothers of preschoolers right here in Encinitas. Uh, we have a Kids Night Out is, is a monthly thing that uh, the kids ministry gives, which is a really cool outreach to our families, but also to others, where only for $5 you get babysitting for three hours. 
where can you get that? It's kind of like back when I was growing up, I think, was about that price. So, uh, but, so we give that, and the cool things last night of all the, the kids who were there, it was about a third of the families were Seacoast families, and the rest were from the community. And so we want to invest in things that we can bring hope and where we can help people know. So over 20% of what we do goes to, to help reach others outside our walls. We're pretty committed to that. And yeah, that's something that is, is, is really important to us. So what's the next thing? The next vision statement is this. We dream of being a church community that is a, that is a family of disciples being transformed by the good news of Jesus. So we dream of being a, a family of people who are being transformed by the good news of Jesus. Notice again in the story. The story is you have this woman who has this incredible response to Jesus. She, her life has been incredibly changed. And so we don't know everything about her, her life, but what we see is that the good news, the message that there is forgiveness, that she could come as she was, that it was changing everything about her. We want to be a community, a family of disciples that we're tra- transformed by the good news. That doesn't mean just the first time you say, okay, I want forgiveness. This means we want to be changed over and over again when we're reminded that the message of Jesus is good news for us for all of our lives. Uh, one thing I like when Matt often says when he teaches is, the more and more we know Jesus and the longer we walk with him, it shouldn't be that we need him less, it's we recognize that we need him even more. And that is people who are transformed and changed by the good news are people who recognize how good this news actually is. How good it is that our God pours out his love so much for us that he has given all that we need to have that life that he has for us. And it's not because anything we earned in this story. The woman didn't earn her forgiveness. She responded because she was forgiven. We want to be a community that responds because we're forgiven. That's why we like to invest in our life groups. That's why we want to connect in smaller groups. That's why we believe this gathering is important. This is part of it. We want to be encouraged week after week. One of the things that we will be doing coming up is we also are, are looking at in the fall. We're going to, uh, right now, we believe that God's leading us to launch an evening service because we believe that there's people and families who just live in the sports and the, and the, and the world of their kids are kind of dominating their lives. And, and I talk with a lot of them, and they say, well, we would maybe attend a church gathering, except for, you know, we have baseball tournament or soccer tournament, or we just like Sunday mornings at the beach, whatever it might be. And we thought, let's give another opportunity. And again, the church is not, we, the goal is not to get more people here, but we feel like one of the things that's important for discipleship is we want to be, as a community, to encounter God week after week. And so we thought, maybe God's leading us to create one more opportunity. So in September, the budget implication is that we're looking to launch an evening service, and you'll hear about more details as that comes out um, as time goes on. Jesus says that, or Paul writes this in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Paul writes and says, now that you have received Jesus, you've been firmly established and rooted in your faith, now overflow with gratitude. Let's be transformed. Let's be changed. And let's, let's live with overflowing gratitude for what Christ has done. That's what we see in this woman. That's the type of church that we want to be. We want to be a community of people overflowing with gratitude because of Jesus, not because of our works, not because of how great we are, not because of all the great things we can do, but because of what Christ does and is doing in and around us. 
We thought a great way to do that um, today and to kind of practically do it is we're going to uh, participate in communion in just a moment. I want to invite the worship team to make their way up. And for us, communion is, is a reminder. It's a reminder of what Jesus has already accomplished. It's, it's a reminder that there's nothing that we could do to accomplish what he's already given us. It's a reminder of the life, the death, and the resurrection of, of Jesus. And so in a moment, we're going to go, we have four tables around the room, and we're going to take the bread, which is a reminder of the body of Christ that was broken and lived for us and given to us. And then when we take the juice, so we take the cup, it's a reminder of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And, and actually what that means is it was a promise. It's a promise that God gave to us. It said, my blood is the covenant. It's the deal. I'm signing it on the dotted line that I love you no matter what and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what it reminds us. And it's a promise that his love is unconditional and you can't earn it. It's already done. And so in a moment, we'll take communion. And what we're going to do here this morning is uh, we're going to have uh, uh, some of our staff and some of our elders will be at the tables to serve it to you. And, uh, you know, part of being a family of disciples is also this idea that as a church, as Seacoast, we, we'd like for you to know that, in case you didn't know, but we are what's called an elder-led church. And that's as a congregation, we, we affirm those who are elders who lead the church. And I know that sounds kind of old and tribal, but that's just a biblical term that we use. Um, and, but what it means is people that we believe that God has affirmed to say are leaders in the church. And so we have a group of elders, and some of them um, with their family will be serving this to you, as well as some of the staff right now. And this is the, the board, and as you can see, um, I, right now I currently serve as one of six elders. Our structure as a church isn't the lead pastor, isn't the, you know, the, the chief everything, and everyone is under me. I serve with the other five guys, so six of us right now, are serving as a plurality of elders. Now, my chief responsibility is leadership of our staff, and we have an amazing staff team at this church. Uh, I, we have, they work hard, they love you, they love the community, and they love this church. And we have 14 people between paid and full-time people who work on your staff team. And, and you should be very grateful for the team we have. I'm grateful for them every day, and I'm also very grateful for this um, elder board. They, this team is they love you, they care about you, and they pray for you, and we really believe our job isn't to sit and do these business meetings, and that's it, but it's actually to shepherd and to pastor the church, to think about you, to pray for you, to meet with you, and, and all of them are involved in relationships of discipleship relationships, so we're a family together being changed, and so um, in just a moment, we're going to have one song of communion, so choose one of the tables, and we'll have some people at each of the tables that will serve you, and we're going to do kind of a an ancient form of, uh, or at least a, an, an, a form from antiquity form of communion where they'll serve with you the blood of Christ that was shed for you and the body of Christ given to you So at each of the tables. So let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this time now. And as we take communion, Lord, let us be reminded of the great work that you have done, not that you need us to do, but because it is finished in your name. So we give this time to you now, Lord, and we ask that you would meet us in this place as a family of disciples who are being transformed by the good news of Jesus. We give you this time. Amen. And Jesus, that's what we celebrate, the fact that you, from what you have done, have given us new life, and you're transforming us even now. So we thank you. We're grateful to you with overflowing with gratitude. 
as our lives are rooted and grounded in you, Jesus. We thank you. We give you this time. Amen. All right, you may have a seat. It's kind of fun to, in the middle of a sermon to bust out in worship, isn't it? That's good. It's good. I love that. Well, what's our third statement that we find? The third thing of our vision is this. We want to share it with you. It's we dream of being a church community that is a movement of people blessing the neighborhoods in which we live and work. We want to be a movement of people that's blessing the neighborhoods in which we live and work. And so if you think of from the beginning, we're talking, it's not just this neighborhood right here in Encinitas, but it's where you live and work. It might be, it, we're okay with Carlsbad and Del Mar. We're okay with uh, Vista and wherever Oceanside where you're coming from. We, we want to be a movement of people blessing the communities in which we live and we work. We believe that the church is not just one location. We believe that this is our global partners overseas and in Africa and in France and in uh, Papua New Guinea and, and where we have partners everywhere. It's, we want to be a part of blessing the neighborhoods in which we live. One thing that happened in this story that we looked at today. In verse 50, the story ends, and Jesus looks at the woman, and he says, your faith has saved you, now go in peace. So he tells her to go in peace, because her life has clearly been transformed by the good news. She clearly has been changed, and, and, and clearly she has a long way to go, probably, because it's a new thing. But then he says, go in peace. And there's this idea now that as you go, I want you to bring peace with you. And this goes all the way back to the biblical view of peace, of shalom. And we talk about it all the time here, because it's essential to understanding the foundation of all scripture, is God intends life to, for us to have shalom, and that's the the word peace, but it includes this completeness, and it's not just the lack of conflict, but it is the presence of harmony, is the biblical view of shalom, and, and so God wants us to have harm, the presence of God's peace in our lives, he wants the presence of God's peace in, in our relationships with one another, presence of God's peace in our relationship with him, and, and, and of all creation, it, it, that is the picture of shalom. And so he says, now go in peace. Go in shalom. Take this harmony you now have with God, and as you go, bring that with you where you go. We believe as a church we're called to be a movement of people. The church is not intended to be just for us on Sunday mornings, or just for you and your life group. It's not just so that we can have better lives. It's the whole picture of the church from the very beginning is that you be a blessing, you be a movement bringing the character and likeness of God everywhere you go, and that should be a blessing. Even people who don't believe, or maybe even people who reject, we want to be a blessing to others. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, I have it for you on the screen. This was a, a verse given to the Israelites when they were living in exile, and it says this, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Isn't that interesting? Because the nation of Israel at the time were living in exile in Babylon, and they worshipped in Babylon foreign gods. And they actually uh, took and captured the Israelites. So you would think that God would say, hey, pray for their destruction and I'll take care of it. You would think that God would say, now that you're there, try to just stick together and, and, and protect one another, and, and hopefully one day it'll be okay. No, he says, seek the welfare of the city in which you live. Pray to the Lord on their behalf. Be a movement of people that brings shalom even in exile. 
And so as a church, we think it's very important that our community that we live in, and, and individually, we want to do this in our neighborhoods. We want to do this where, in our places of work. We want to do this in your favorite coffee shop. We should be people of peace. They shouldn't say, oh, you go to Seacoast? Yeah, you guys are always cranky. That shouldn't be the first. They should say, what is up with you people from Seacoast? Well, there's, there, we're people of peace where we go. We're bringing God's presence. But corporately, as an organization, we also believe that we, are, we exist in Encinitas, so that's why we talk about this initiative we call Love Encinitas. Because we believe because we gather here in Encinitas, and this property was purchased back in, I think it was the 1940s or 1950s, and, and so we've, there's been a church here for a long time. We believe that God has blessed us with this place. Seacoast as an organization has existed in this place for 30 years now. And we believe if we're here, how, do we, how are we a movement of people to bless our city? That's why we do a lot with the local schools. We uh, partner with Ocean Knoll. Uh, this year, we're starting a new program. Uh, we're partnering with another church. And on this campus, are called Casa de Amistad. And it's an after-school program for um, English learning students. And so we're going to uh, host that here. We're investing in that program because we want to bless the families who live right here in our neighborhood who need a little help. And so that's one of the things we're going to do. We do a lot with um, Sunset High School, which is an alternate high school right here, alternative high school down the street from us. We want to be a blessing to those students there, many of whom do not have families who invest in them and love them. So we said, what if we as a church did that? So we invest that way. Uh, another thing that we do on our campus is six of the seven days of the week, there are recovery groups that meet on our campus. There's tons of different groups there's from everything, AANA, there's an OA group, there's, there's groups for parenting, uh, people who need help with parenting, there's uh, groups for Alateen and, and Al-Anon, there's all kinds of gatherings here that we open our facility because we believe that people sometimes need others to walk with them and help them in those desperate times. And it's a joy for us. In fact, just this last year, uh, one of our AA groups was meeting, and before they gathered, I often will say hi to them and let them know we're praying for them and encourage them and see what ways that we can help them. And, and uh, one of the guys, we just had this conversation, and he just said, I just feel so stuck, and I just need freedom. And I was able to share with him, you know, one, that we're so proud of the work they're doing in AA and that he's, you know, uh, his sobriety, but also that, hey, you know what? Uh, the, you can find freedom in Christ too and this is how it's helped for me and with tears in his eyes he said that is what I need that's what I've needed to hear today and we shared a little bit longer and he gave him a book that I thought would be helpful for him to read but so encouraging and I wouldn't have that interaction if we weren't uh, if you weren't generous to support this church and allowed us to then host other groups I think it's such a great use of our of our funds, and sometimes you might look at our budget and say, we give 10% to keeping the lights on and paying the bills and, and making sure there's toilet paper. That's not very fun. <laughs> but then when you hear the stories that are connected to it, then you say, oh, we, I, I'm happy to do that because we're blessed here to have a facility in a great location that is not, that's paid for. It's totally paid for, and so it allows us to bless our community and to love Encinitas and those who are hurting and broken. And, and so some of what you give goes to changing lives in ways that you didn't even realize. 
One other partnership that we have and that's part of our Love Encinitas is with the Community Resource Center. They're located right downtown Encinitas on 2nd Street, and they do a lot of work with the underemployed and homeless. And, and one of our main ministries to them is we uh, work in their food line uh, or their uh, food kitchen there, basically, food pantry, and to provide for people each week. And uh, so we have two days a week where Seacoast people volunteer to help, which we are always looking for more help if you want to do that. But... Um, I want you to see that it's not just about giving food, but there's more. So I'm going to invite up one of our CRC representatives and uh, volunteers. And she's really good looking. Um, <laughs> it's my wife. If you're a guest, this is my wife. So. And uh, she wants to share a little bit about what happens there in the food pantry. Sure. Lots of things happen at the <laughs> Food and Nutrition Center. Uh, first of all, we do serve people from all over North County. So we say love Encinitas. But we're serving people all over. So if you're from Vista, you're still represented. Um, but I just wanted to start with one story from, about someone who has been a part of the food center so that you can kind of get a picture. So a man named Michael Williams was a veteran who found himself disabled. And uh, through a series of circumstances, he found himself homeless and had gotten to the point where he was pretty low low and experiencing a lot of shame. And what comes with that often, you sort of lose touch with your humanity a little bit and you feel like you don't deserve care or compassion anymore. And he walked into the Food and Nutrition Center and a very friendly volunteer, which were 100% volunteer run, welcomed him with a smile and asked if he had food allergies, if there was anything in particular he was in the mood for. And it sort of jolted him. And... He, he writes about this in a blog, and he says it was at that moment that he realized that he was worthy of compassion and a smile and a choice. And I love that Seacoast partners with the Food and Nutrition Center, and I love that we lean into pain and we don't shy away from it here. The Food Center uh, helps homeless, helps seniors on uh, low incomes, we have refugees who come through there. We have uh, moms with children who have escaped really horrible family situations who need the help. And we get to be a part of that, and I love it. And we get to be that compassionate um, person in their lives. And uh, I want you to know that Seacoast has a reputation in the community. I hear, I, I work for the CRC actually, and I am out amongst non-faith organizations all the time, and I hear the name Seacoast come up when they don't know that I go here. Mm -hmm. And they think of us as a group of people who love Jesus, but tangibly love the community. And I think that's so awesome, and I just want to say thank you for being a part of that. Thank you. All right. Yeah, let's give her a hand. One thing that was a great joy, uh, I met Michael uh, last year, and he was sharing his story, and he held up a key, and he said, this is the key to my apartment, and he now has a place to live, and I think, uh, yeah, that's, it's really cool, and it really, you know, what struck me was that he felt dignity just because someone said, what, what can we do for you today? Give him a choice. And so if you have a heart for that even, um, on your Connect card you can write CRC and we'll get in touch with you. That We always need volunteers. But also if this whole idea of being a movement, a, mission, a movement of people kind of stirs something in you, uh, we'd love for you on your Connect card to write Love Encinitas because we're trying to rebuild that team. Um, we used to call it the local outreach, but we feel like this is really about this 
third piece of being a movement. And you're not committing to anything now. You just say, hey, I want to know more about Love Encinitas. Write that on your Connect card. And in just a moment, we're actually, we'll be taking our offering, and you can drop it in the offering uh, uh, basket as well as that goes by. So I, I don't know about you, but when I hear all of these stories, I, I think that um, I feel completely grateful um, and excited to be about what God is doing. And I'm really uh, convinced that he's moving in great ways. And, and these are only just a couple stories. There are so many that we get to hear, and we're trying to tell more of them. But we believe that God has uniquely placed us somewhere, and he wants to do a work among us, and he already is.